Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to Christ-community.com. All right, let's get started. Looking at the scripture from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and that says, <clears throat> The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not, un I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank, Thank you. God. Thank you so much, Christy. Um, so the, uh, the seminary class, just say something super briefly about that, uh, before we dive in here, uh, we got a couple folks that are, uh, signed up to take it. They're thinking, Hey, we're going to dip our feet into seminary here. Uh, it's a really, really great way to do that. So if you have ever thought like, Oh, that could be fun this is maybe the best uh, possibility for that. So we're, we're hoping that there might be classes that would continue on uh, in the future as well. But right now there's just one uh, happening on Tuesday nights. Uh, if you look at this and think like, I'd love to kind of sit in on that before I sign up for it, come. Uh, so please, uh, I would love it if you'd let me know specifically because I'll be here that night. So I'd love to be looking for you. Um, but even if it's just, uh, hey, I, I'd just love to sit in on that first class and see what it's all about, or I'd love to sit in uh, for the next eight weeks, that's what it is, it's January and February, right? and just observe a little bit, uh, that, would be, that would be great as well. Uh, so it's a cool, cool opportunity that I'm very hopeful might be uh, something that grows for us. Uh, that might be something also, it may not seem like this uh, at first, but this particular model of seminary uh, has been particularly helpful uh, in building relationships uh, cross-culturally also. Uh, so something that uh, I'm hopeful would help us uh, in the long haul here in Athens as we are hoping to do ministry uh, and have relationships cross-culturally uh, with vulnerable people, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? So all that to say, uh, we're excited about it. Hope you would join us if you want to. Um, so we're going to dive into this new year together. And it is weird that the new year starts in January, is it not? Like, am I the only one who has ever thought, like, why on earth are we starting the new year when it's freezing and everything's dead? It doesn't make any sense at all. The school year starts in September. Things come alive in March why are we calling this the new year? Uh, and I read a book a few years ago that was not exactly about this, but uh, totally uh, opened my mind to like, this is why it's the new year in January. You may already know this, but for a long time, most cultures, 
celebrated the new year when things started growing because that makes sense, right? <laughs> and over time uh, in, in Rome, they decided, oh, we're going to actually start the new year in January uh, just because we want to, basically, right? Uh, and so if you ever think about this, like, oh, yeah, September, October 8th, November, December is 10. It's the 10th month. We got two more months to go uh, before March, which is the real beginning of the year. But for whatever reason, this governs our modern lives. And we make resolutions in the middle of the winter, which doesn't make any sense because we're all we should be fat and happy right now, right? We shouldn't be burdened with having to get gym memberships and like this is not what I want to be thinking about. But anyway, here we are. Uh, and so historically, then the, the church calendar has kind of been mapped onto that uh, as well, right? The Old Testament had this mandated church calendar, right? Not church, but covenant people calendar that they would keep when Passover would happen, right? When the various feasts would happen, they had to keep that uh, as part of following Yahweh. Uh, in the New Testament, there was no such thing. It made sense that people kind of continued to live in those rhythms, though, doesn't it? Uh, they would continue to say, like, let's, let's celebrate Jesus's birth at a certain time of year. Uh, and there's some historical evidence, by the way. You may have heard, like, oh, there's no way Jesus was born around December 25th. He actually may have been uh, somewhere around that, that time. Uh, and so it, it makes sense that people would, would celebrate that, would continue with a, a sort of calendar, right? And so this uh, the beginning of the year for us, uh, we come out of the season of Advent. We've come out of the 12 days of Christmas. Anybody, you leave your Christmas, we left our Christmas tree up. So the, what is this, the 14th day of Christmas? I don't know. Anyway, anybody leave yours up? I took it down. Yeah, we took it down just this weekend. It's like, it's become a commitment now. We're like, no, we're going to leave it up for the 12 days, right? After the 12 days is uh, the day of Epiphany. And I'm very church calendar light, by the way. You know, Presbyterians have had a very mixed... Uh, kind of view on this. A lot of us have used it over the years. Some have said like, oh, I don't, we don't really need to do that anymore. So let's not make it, let's not imply that that's like following Jesus is doing the church calendar, right? But I think it's good for us to have a sense of, you know, Christians have done this in various traditions uh, over time. So we're not going to get dogmatic about it, but we'll, we'll think about it. It'll help us through the year as we think about uh, following Jesus, right? And so this uh, Epiphany is uh, uh, January 6th, and so this is the closest Sunday to it. So this is Epiphany Sunday historically, uh, which just means it's a moment where churches that uh, live by the church calendar typically celebrate uh, the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the nations of the earth, right? Not just to the Old Testament covenant people, but to all the earth. So there's uh, a time usually when uh, the, there's the celebrating of the, the three kings or the, the magi, right? It's not necessarily three, but uh, these guys, these wise men uh, who came from the east uh, to see Jesus. He was manifested. He appeared not only to the covenant people, but to all the earth. And so we'll talk about that a tiny bit today. We're starting in the Gospel of Mark, which is uh, one of the only well, it's one of the ones that does not mention the Magi. So I don't know. Maybe that's all. Maybe that's not a win for Garrett starting uh, in Mark uh, on Epiphany Sunday. But 
Nonetheless, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus's manifestation, uh, Jesus's appearance to all the world. Right? Looking here uh, at the beginning of March, Mark, not March. I was talking about March. Now I'm talking about Mark. Uh, I can't think of uh, the word manifest, by the way, without thinking of manifest destiny. You remember that from your history classes? I was a, a history major and uh, before that a history nerd. Manifest destiny was this concept. And I think I've got a little uh, painting here of uh, American progress. Ah, that's the silliest looking thing I've ever seen. It's painting from 1872. Manifest destiny was this concept that people came up with in the 1800s that America was destined by God, uh, to take over the whole continent, basically, right? Like, we need to go from the Atlantic to the Pacific. We need to go from the Arctic Circle all the way down to, what is that, Tierra del Fuego or something in the bottom of South America. This is our manifest destiny. I can't say the word manifest without uh, it popping into my head. It's a hilarious term uh, if it were not so damaging to people uh, throughout history, uh, but we're we're talking about, I don't know if that pops into your head or not, this, this kind of, and I can't think of destiny without uh, Back to the Future and uh, Marty McFly's dad telling his future mom that she's his density. You remember that one? Anyway, both of us that are old enough are like, yeah, vaguely. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Jesus' manifestation. We're talking about uh, Jesus' manifestation in his his destiny as well, Jesus' purpose in his manifestation, uh, what it's all about that Jesus appeared. And so we're seeing that here in Mark, or if that jumps out at you from the passage that uh, Christy read for us already or not, but this is uh, the purpose for which Jesus has appeared, radically different from uh, any American sense of what our manifest destiny would be. Uh, it's kind of like a, uh, an inverse of that, as a matter of fact. So we're here in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be here over the course of the next four weeks, and uh, we'll come back to it later. So what we're going to do this year uh, in terms of our preaching series uh, is a few different books of the Bible that we'll hit in snippets, and just kind of alternate between uh, a few different books. And so we'll come back to Mark, I don't know, in, in March sometime, I think. Um, and so right off the bat, as we're diving in, we need a little bit of context, don't we? We don't want to dive into this contextless, uh, but instead understand where we're, where we're stepping into the scriptures so that it can really have application uh, to our lives. And so, again, throughout The tradition of Mark was likely uh, the first gospel to be written. If you thumb through it at all, you can see it's a lot shorter than certainly Luke or Matthew, a little shorter than John, as was the shortest gospel. Uh, the, the prose in Mark is not an elevated literature. You, you look at Matthew, you look at Luke, uh, these are guys that uh, have learned to write, or at least have people working with them that have learned to write. Uh, Mark, not quite as much. It's a little more elementary. It's a little more halting. 
right? It's shorter. Uh, the the grammar's not as good. There are things in Mark, there's statements in Mark that look like, oh, people are going to take offense to that. Uh, and not as much in the other Gospels. Uh, and so to some degree, Mark has kind of been discounted over the years. Uh, more like hundreds of years ago in recent church history, uh, it's come around again. People have uh, studied Mark more in scholarship. Tim Keller even had a book that came out on the Gospel of Mark a few years ago. You may have uh, read that one, but uh, this is the this is the Gospel that for a time people thought, oh, Matthew and Luke are so much better. There's just so much. Clearly, there's so much more information. Uh, it's written so much better. It's pretty obvious. You know, maybe Mark just tried to distill what they had said. Just put it in like leaflet form or something, right? Uh, but instead, I think what's likely is Mark started it. Uh, church history would say uh, that Mark went alongside of the Apostle Peter and, and wrote what he heard Peter preaching. Uh, and so even very early on, there's testimony from Papias and from an, an unknown early church elder that some would think is uh, the Apostle John, uh, that Mark was writing based on Peter's preaching. And you can actually see there are some themes in Peter's preaching, like uh, in Acts, for example, uh, where Mark kind of follows along some of those same themes. We know that Mark was with Peter uh, at one point in Rome as well. Uh, we know that Mark was also uh, with Paul, uh, with Barnabas. And so this is someone who's kind of in the scene with the apostles, who's coming alongside of them and, and serving alongside of them as well. Uh, and so even early on with uh, Papias uh, and with this unknown elder, they are actually saying about Mark, uh, uh, we think that this is clearly something that's based on the testimony of the apostle Peter, and he's writing it down, not as a as an exact chronological history. And so even early on, it seems that people were looking at this like, it looks a little jumbled, not real sure what to think of this. And so people were saying, yeah, but that's because it's rooted in the preaching of Peter, the things that he heard Peter say, uh, not necessarily trying to lay it all down uh, exactly in a history chronologically the way that uh, Luke seems to be. Uh, trying to do. And so uh, none of those are things that are like, hey, we got rock solid understanding of exactly who wrote it at exactly the time and who he was with, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, it does seem likely that this is who wrote it. Uh, this is where it came from. Uh, then that this would have been the earliest gospel as well. Typically, when you're looking at texts, uh, you're looking at uh, what's what's shortest What's written most poorly, <laughs> what's most halting, that's probably the earliest thing. Uh, the more information you get, the more uh, that things are sort of uh, edited to sound better, the more likely that it is that it's a little bit later. So all that to say, that's going to be our assumption here. We're not going to base a whole lot of theology on that being uh, the case that is from Mark and on the authority of Peter, but generally speaking, seems to be what it is. Seems to be that he would, would have written this uh, from Rome with Peter and therefore likely a bit of a Gentile audience. 
And so this is, again, Jesus appearing, manifesting to the world, to the nations, in and through the gospel of Mark. Uh, one commentator, a guy named James Brooks, says uh, his purpose seems to be to describe Jesus in such a way as to promote loyalty to him and his teaching. And we see that in the first sentence, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. There are only a couple spots in Mark that uh, scholars look at and say, that may have been a later addition. Those words may have been something that somebody tagged in there, perhaps. Uh, one would be that phrase, Son of God. Uh, that doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts that we have of Mark. Uh, and then the end of Mark, there's kind of a longer uh, part at the very end that seems kind of repetitive on some of the things he already said, that perhaps uh, somebody put that on as kind of an addendum. Either way, and not things that really uh, would go against anything that's in the theology of the scriptures, but Good to know uh, that those are things that uh, that we would also say, okay, we're not going to necessarily base a whole lot of our theology on, hey, Mark 1.1 says son of God. And we don't need to because it's all over the Bible in other places. But nonetheless, uh, Mark says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is the son of God. And so what Mark is doing, as James Brooks said, is introducing us to Jesus in such a way as to promote loyalty to him and to his teaching. He's introducing us to the king. He's introducing us to the king and the kingdom. And so our series that we'll come back to several times throughout the year uh, is based on this idea of Mark revolving around introducing the nations to the king, the once and future king. We see a few things here in this passage I'll point out, and we'll just talk about how does this apply then to us uh, in our day-to-day -day lives. The first is this, the Lord made it clear to his people that the Messiah would appear. We see that uh, in verse 2, it says, as it is written, right? God told the covenant people what to expect. And he told them what to expect again and again and again and again. Slowly, you're getting a little more information about what's coming down the pike, right? But nonetheless, Yahweh is telling his people, Messiah is coming. The king is coming again and again and again, Maybe you experienced something like that this morning if you were a parent and you have little kids. We're going. Put your shoes on. We're going to church. Seriously, you got 20 minutes. They have no idea what 20 minutes means, right? But you got a few minutes here. Get your shoes on. Get your shoes on. Get your shoes on. This is my life. <laughs> uh, a whole lot of repetition. You're letting them know it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You're probably going to have to sit down with them in the mudroom and get those shoes on with them. But nonetheless, uh, you're, you're telegraphing, aren't you? You're billboarding. It's coming. That's what God's doing with his people. It's coming. I promise you, it's coming. Uh, and he says the messenger is coming to prep the way for the Messiah. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, he says, right? So uh, God's people have heard that that's part of it too, right? It's not just put on your shoes. There's a little something before that also. When you hear the beep, 
put on your shoes. <laughs> right? There's a messenger coming. He's going to prepare the way. That's in the Old Testament. Mark is quoting here, right? He says he's quoting Isaiah. We'll get to this in a second. He's quoting a little more than that. Uh, and then there's the messenger's message, right? Not only is the messenger coming to prepare the way, which Mark says is John the Baptist, but the messenger's message is to prepare the way. The covenant people, Israel, are to prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So uh, uh, he's coming. A messenger is coming ahead of time. And look at this. Who's coming? Messiah. But then prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord is coming. I don't know what that means exactly, but somehow or another, Messiah is coming. The Lord is coming. There's a both hands. We know that this is Jesus. It's both and in one person. Uh, I want to talk about this just super briefly so you've got a little more context for what we're looking at here. Uh, there's, there's kind of a uh, multiple verses from the Old Testament that Mark is referencing uh, when he talks about preparing the way. The first spot we see that is Exodus 23, 20. As God's people, God's people have uh, been in slavery in Egypt, right? Uh, it's an exile of sorts. And then there's an exodus out of Egypt. And the Lord says his angel will go before them. His messenger will go before them. And uh, at some spots, like with the burning bush, the angel of the Lord is in this bush that's on fire and yet not being consumed somehow, right? And Moses says, like, who are you? And the angel of the Lord says, Yahweh. And so in that spot, the angel of the Lord represents Yahweh specifically. In this spot, uh, there's a connotation, a little bit of of judgment uh, because Moses has come down the mountain from giving, uh, getting the Ten Commandments, and the people have made this golden calf. God's presence has been among them. And instead, he says, my presence is not going to be with you for this next part, right? Uh, uh, my, the messenger will go ahead of you. An angel of the Lord will go ahead of you, which is still pretty great. There's a little bit of judgment, but it's mostly blessing at this point. The angel of the Lord is going to go ahead of you as you are coming into the promised land, as you are moving out. Uh, and the angel of the Lord in this case is uh, one who is going ahead in order to uh, prepare the way, in order to kind of uh, plow the way, so to speak, right? Uh, take care of their enemies ahead of them. It's the original context uh, of that phrase. Then they're in exile again, aren't they? They go through many, many years. Uh, in the land, uh, and then they're exiled into Babylon. Isaiah foretells this, uh, and he foretells even that though there's going to be an exile, there's going to be another exodus from exile. You're going to come out of Babylon. There will not be judgment forever, right? There is, there is more coming. There's a consummation coming. There's a day of the Lord that's coming uh, when you will be comforted, God's people. And it's in that context in Isaiah 40 that he uses uh, a similar phrase, prepare the way. Sending uh, the messenger to prepare the way. And this is a preparing of the way uh, to step into the fullness of the promise of the day of the Lord. Now, we know that we are still awaiting the consummation of the day of the Lord, aren't we? I mean, it, it didn't even start until Jesus came along, 
Uh, because of Israel's unfaithfulness, uh, it did not fully come to pass in that time. And so Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, I'm sending my messenger. And so there's yet again this promise of this messenger who's going ahead of the people of God. And yet there's, there's more of a sense of judgment of this one. Malachi 3.1 says, the messenger's coming. Malachi 3.2 says, who can endure the day of his coming? Uh, and so that's all context for what Mark is saying here. It's funny, my wife was reading uh, another gospel that echoes this, that talks a little more about uh, the, the Lord's coming uh, with fire. And that's the context here. Uh, that the, the original readers would have had some understanding of uh, the, the, the fire of the Lord is coming. I know you are not thinking of this verse as like anything other than hopeful, but uh, what the, the writers of the gospels are bringing to bear is Hey, depending on whether, uh, whether something is um, a precious metal or uh, chaff, right? like the, the piece of a wheat uh, seed or plant that has fallen off, fire means very different things, doesn't it? Uh, for, for metal, for gold, fire means refining. Uh, and so there is a fire that is coming. Right, a baptism that is coming. We'll get more to that in just a second. That is going to be refining. That is going to make the gold look incredible. That's going to finish the job. Uh, and yet, for chaff, fire uh, is a very different thing, isn't it? It's representative of simultaneously a fulfillment of the promise of God, the hope of the promise of God in Jesus, and uh, a foretelling of judgment. Uh, and so, this arrival, this manifestation of Jesus depends on where you're coming from, depends on who you are and what you decide to do with his coming. That's what's going on here. Who can endure the day of his coming? They're in the wilderness uh, because all of humanity on some level is exiled into the wilderness of our sin. And they're looking for one who will come and prepare the way and lead them out. Uh, a commentator named Rick Watts was super helpful for me in all of this. He said, this encapsulates their self-understanding as they heed the call for repentance by preparing the way for God's return through pursuing holiness and studying Torah in the wilderness. So, uh, the Lord makes it clear to his people that the Messiah is going to appear, and this is what it's all about. There is great hope, and yet, get your shoes on. <laughs> Second thing, uh, John's arrival, John's manifestation, drew many to repent and be baptized. You notice that? John the Baptist's message worked, which is crazy. John the Baptist's message worked because it was anointed, not because of his tactics, per se. 
Uh, it's funny, I, I heard somebody say something very, very similar this week uh, about uh, a message that is anointed as opposed to just tactics. John the Baptist's message worked because God was with him, because he was the messenger to prepare the way. If you think about this, John's message worked despite his tactics, actually. Admit, despite his appearance, John appears where? What does it say in here? In the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Like, that is a bad plan. But nobody's out in the wilderness, man. He appears in the wilderness, like out on the outskirts of town. Nobody lives there. Nobody's going out there. Definitely nobody's going out there to hear a message of repentance. Are you insane? Like, man, give me the good stuff. God is love, right? Yes, he is. Uh, but uh, not only that, he wears clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he eats locusts and wild honey. Like, this is just not the plan to attract people to your church plant. It's <laughs> not it. Uh, it's certainly reminiscent of Elijah. John is the Elijah that is to come, right? The messenger who's going to prepare the way for Messiah. But nonetheless, I mean, this ain't it. He looks like a wild man. He is a wild man. He's eating locusts and honey. He's wearing clothing made of camel's hair. Uh, and yet, his message is anointed. His person is anointed. Uh, and the people are coming. You ever surprised at what draws people? Man, my aunt used to call me an old soul when I was like eight, which if you've seen the meme, means that I have low serotonin. Uh, only one of you has seen the meme. Uh, my friends call me a cranky old man and I have for like decades now. So yes, I'm surprised at what people are drawn to constantly. Like, I don't get that, uh, right? No offense if you like Crocs, I don't get it, right? Like if you are planning your day, like I might walk through water, I get it. I get that. Uh, other than that, I, I didn't get Crocs the first time. I don't get them the second time. You know, all of these, uh, all these athletes and like, uh, like young kids are wearing Crocs again and, you know, whatever. Sometimes I'm surprised at these things. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, God draws people to John. It's counterintuitive. Most of us have probably at least heard the story of this NFL player who went down uh, in the middle of the game on Monday, right? His name is Damar Hamlin. Uh, I actually have not seen the video yet. I'm not sure that I want to watch it because I keep hearing from people it's like borderline traumatic. Uh, but this guy goes down. Uh, if you haven't heard the story at this point, real brief, uh, his heart stopped at least for a moment in the middle of this game. They canceled the game. I don't remember ever hearing of an NFL game canceled for someone getting uh, injured in the middle of the game. And obviously this is more than an injury. Uh, but it's all over the place. It's all over the news and sports center stuff and social media, et cetera. I doubt that Damar Hamlin ever thought about his life as like, that's what's going to draw everyone to me. I don't have a heart attack on the field. Right? I'm sure this is a strong man in many ways, uh, but this is a moment of physical weakness, isn't it? And man, that's what's drawing the world to, to love this guy. People are finding out about his, his personality and like the, the charities that he was giving to. And like, oh, is he a person of faith and all this stuff? Like, 
You've never heard Damar Hamlin's name before last week, unless you're a Buffalo Bills fan. And those don't exist. <laughs> now they do. Now they do. Uh, in Buffalo. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, all right. But nonetheless, like there's this moment of weakness. It's not his stellar play that got him into the NFL. That's amazing. Right, no, it's this moment of weakness that's drawing people to him. Often, that's the way it works, isn't it? And that's the way it worked here, not just because of craziness and weakness, but because uh, God often chooses the things that we think are weak, uh, the things that we think are nuts, to show that it's him. It's him. He's the one drawing people here in the whole Judean countryside. And all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Man, just notice that for a second. Uh, we often get caught up in like, and everybody hated him. Everybody was saying, crucify him. There was a serious revival going on. There are a whole bunch of people following John the Baptist, following Jesus hungry for the work of God and his Holy Spirit. God was doing something here. That's exciting. Third thing, John's message was that the Messiah was coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So he's baptizing with water. His message is there's one coming, though, to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, we don't have time to do a full theology of baptism right here, right now, but I do want to get a little bit of an idea of what is this all about, right? Uh, when it says one is being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the idea of baptism is to be overwhelmed by and identified with a thing or person. And so he's saying one is coming who's going to overwhelm you and identify you with the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, and so uh, John is baptizing. And this would be, you've heard me say this before, I believe, uh, something fairly familiar. This is not something new that he is introducing here. There are all these ceremonial washings in the Old Testament. We did a whole series on Leviticus and looked at some of this stuff, right? They knew what a ceremonial washing was. And so John is uh, uh, doing something in that tradition. John is baptizing uh, uh, a baptism of repentance. And people would understand this. If you're going to be ceremoni ceremonially cleansed from something, you touched a dead animal or whatever the, uh, the particular ceremonial law might be, uh, you are going to be cleansed, to turn from, to remember uh, that uh, our sin deserves death, right? So it, it's similar, but John is baptizing and saying, hey, this is a soul cleansing. This isn't just wash your hands because you uh, touch something that's that's uh, out of bounds ceremonially. This is wash yourself, wash your your not physical body, but your person, uh, because we are born into uh, sin. Right? And so he is uh, inviting them into a soul cleansing. He's inviting them into repentance, turning from self to God. And they stepped into the mayim hayim, the living water, right? Moving water. Uh, that's how uh, people in that time would have talked about it. 
it's taking the uncleanness away. It's not just a, a pool of sitting water, it's moving water. And that would have been meaningful, most likely for these folks. And how, how is this happening? The external symbol of the water, symbol of cleansing is representing an internal reality. We take a shower or even just wash our hands. We scrub out a stain in a shirt or something. And the cleansed thing becomes overwhelmed with the cleansing agent. In the case of the spiritual here, there's, a, there's an overwhelming that also identifies as a new thing. It's and in a secular sense, we understand this, right? Take a look at the Georgia bookstore. Look at all that red stuff that people are about to buy. Uh, we've all bought plenty of it already. It's a, there's a second picture, which is me and my family. Look how little my little older two were. That's the night of the 2018 national championship game. We won't talk about it. We won't talk about it. I know, right? But I mean, I didn't, I grew up somewhere totally different. I didn't grow up a Georgia fan. And yet Georgia's in the national championship. Oh yeah, let's go get some shirts and hats. Let's baptize ourselves in the red, right? Uh, let's be overwhelmed by, let's put on and identify with this other thing. We understand this concept. That's what's going on. God. Uh, and yet what we did was like baptize ourselves in sin, right? In, in Adam, uh, there was a cosmic treason that uh, human beings were part of, right? The whole human project is to overthrow and destroy God. How do you know? The first chance we got, we crucified him. So pretty, uh, pretty accurate there, right? Uh, and, and that uh, choice exiled all of us. It exiled all of us into the wilderness of sin and of death. And yet, uh, that very thing, right, that very crucifixion is how uh, he's going to bring us out of it. How he's going to say it. Jesus identifies us with him, the son of God, the son of man, the new representative for all who would repent, for all who would trust him and not us. He says uh, we're in him and he is in us. It's union with Christ. And in union with Jesus, our debt is paid. Our debt is paid, right? Uh, Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12 and 1 Peter 2 talk about being sprinkled with blood, which is a, a connotation, again, of those Old Testament cleansing ceremonies. And yet there's a, there's a, a baptism there. It's an identifying with. It's an overwhelming with uh, uh, Jesus himself, right? They were remembering as they're sprinkled with the blood of the animal to make them ceremonially clean of sin's consequence and their need for one to make them completely righteous and clean, right? And so we are not just sprinkled with animal blood. We're overwhelmed with the blood of Jesus, the righteous record of Jesus. In union with Jesus, his death is my death. His death is your death. In union with Jesus, his perfect life is imputed unto you, his righteousness 
credited to you. Jesus goes ahead of us in the wilderness to vanquish all of our foes, to lead us into real life. And he doesn't just begin it. He continues. He leads us fully into life. He doesn't just declare us righteous. He fundamentally makes us righteous as well. He actually changes us. Uh, as we are united to him, uh, baptized in the spirit, we have his spirit within us that changes us. As we walk by faith, he transforms us to look more and more like him, to look like that fruit of the spirit. He makes us righteous and he makes us restorers as well. As well. He's renewing all things. And so being a follower of Jesus means uh, that we partner in that. It's just living in light of the gospel, actually. And so the consummation of all means a, a transformation, and not only uh, coming out of the wilderness, but an actual transformation of the wilderness, a transformation of all things of this very earth into a garden. Right? God manifests himself and his love to the world in Jesus and a people united to Jesus by his spirit. In the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and in and through us now. And so what that means for us is that we move forward as messengers in this wilderness. That's our role. And union with Jesus uh, in the baptism of his spirit, this is our purpose, right? Uh, a message of redemption and restoration offered freely in Jesus. Freely in Jesus. Even if nobody seems to be interested. I'll close with this. Uh, a man named Elijah Lovejoy was a Presbyterian minister in Alton, Illinois, uh, back in the 1830s. And over time, he became convicted that slavery was not a good thing. Uh, he was in Missouri, which had been incorporated as a slave state. He moved over into Illinois to kind of try to get away from some of that. Uh, and he actually moved over his life from defending slavery on some level to being an abolitionist. Uh, and it was through his theological education that that movement actually began. Uh, and he spoke into that world around St. Louis and Missouri and Illinois uh, and spoke a message of abolition because of his belief in Jesus, and nobody really seemed interested in that at the time. Uh, and as a matter of fact, in 1837, uh, he was killed by a pro-slavery mob. And it actually serves to strengthen the message of abolition. I don't know what it felt like in his life. If it felt like nobody's really listening to what I have to say, I guarantee he felt that. Uh, in 1837, when the mob came for it. And yet, uh, this was a part of strengthening the message for God's people. So, for us, let's prepare the way of the Lord. Let's prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, even if it seems like you're striving to live uh, in righteousness is just a lot of energy with not a lot of payoff. Even if it seems that your message uh, of redemption and restoration is one that nobody's really interested in listening to, uh, even if perhaps we would be called to pay the highest price uh, 
in restoration of the vulnerable somehow. We are baptized and united in him, and the wilderness will not last forever. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And uh, we want to be those who are agents of your redemption and restoration. We want to be those who speak your good news, who live in light of your good news, uh, that many uh, would come to know you, uh, that people would be set free spiritually, that people would be set free temporally, physically as well. We want to live as those uh, who are free. We want to live as those who have been set free by your good news. And so we ask, would you go ahead of us? Would you go ahead of us uh, that we might speak the beauty of your love and your redemption in this world? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.